your labor in worship. Amen. If you have your Bibles, two portions of Scripture tonight, Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10. We've all been hearing about the uh, recent shooting in the gay club in Orlando, this nightclub. Uh, the gunman was a radical Muslim terrorist. Now, that is not my assessment. Uh, this was the reality of his ties and allegiance to ISIS. And the post that he put on uh, Facebook shortly after the shooting while he was still in the club before they took his life. And the rant that he went on pledging his allegiance to ISIS and his hatred for the West. They even came out and said, the FBI, that they found absolutely no link or evidence that he himself was gay. Pretty interesting. Now, I had said from day one, my little assessment, which doesn't always mean a lot, but I had said from day one that this whole scenario presents a real problem. Certain segments of America, certainly certain uh, political segments and vocal segments, that protect both the homosexual and the Muslim terrorist. I thought, what are they going to do with this one? Because both their poster boys are in on this. And I was curious how they would rectify this tension point. This little article came out. In the days following the deadly Orlando terrorist attack, many have speculated on the circumstances <clears throat> that led to such a horrific event occurring. According to one man who attended the vigil for Orlando victims in uh, Greenwich Village, New York City, earlier this week, he says the culture surrounding Donald Trump and his supporters is to blame for the Sunday massacre that left 49 dead, 53 injured. The attack stemmed from a particular type of culture that is being brought up right now by, for example, the most prominent visible Donald Trump supporters. This is what they say. He said the attack was also the result of the absolute disgust and loathing for anything other than one's selfishness and to and easy access to guns. Many at the rally seemed to agree that the access to firearms followed by homophobia, those that are afraid of homosexuals, was the leading reason behind the attack. So listen to the culmination of this. One woman said the attack happened because of easy access to weapons of war. And was motivated by hate. It is definitely a combination of a lack of gun control and just so much hate for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. Another woman told the blaze, I am not going or I would not blame Islam for this. Islam is a religion of peace, even though there's a lot of extremism. There have been no high examples so far in the United States of America that show straight up hate for the gay and lesbians. As far as Islam goes. Now, I was very interested in that little article. And I was waiting for the moment that they would disregard any sensibility, disregard the facts, and make one of these emotional, hate-filled responses. And the only thing that amazed me was they blamed Donald Trump and not the Christians. But that's just setting it up to blame the Christians. The first thing I thought, and it came to mind when I read this, was this is what we're dealing with. You know, uh, 
what we're dealing with in our world is, is far greater than anything some human intellect can, can process, can figure out. Uh, it goes far beyond some human beings making some emotional arguments. But what we're dealing with and the, the level of deception we're dealing with, there's a very demonic backing to. To these arguments and to these philosophical reasonings. This that we are facing today, the ideologies, the bankrupt philosophies, the laws that are being instituted that are stealing away freedom and moving towards outlawing Christianity. These are not going to be fought with more arguments and ideas. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have advocates and voices. Absolutely, we should. But if we think that somehow more ideas and more philosophies are going to uh, bring into an alignment anything, we're, we're sadly mistaken. And even on a smaller level, the things that we face in our families, on our jobs, in the schools, the agendas, the philosophies, the assaults and attempts to undermine the things of God that we face on a personal level. At the end of the day, these must be seen for what the Bible calls them. That is the wiles or the tricks of Satan, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age and wickedness in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says they are. And with this reality... God has given us, the church, one weapon that can turn the arguments, that can confound the arguers, one weapon that can prolong freedoms and preserve liberty, one weapon that can turn the battle in our favor when it seems the battle is out of our control, whether that's on a family level, personal dealings that you're dealing with, uh, or on a much larger level, and that is the weapon of prayer. And from that vantage point, I want to bring you to this topic of prayer uh, with that in mind, with that as the basis for this sermon. And let's read together these two texts, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power is might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, <clears throat> having your, uh, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end. That is the prayerful end. With all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity 
to the obedience of Christ. I want to preach on the weapon of prayer tonight. And I want to first consider the warfare at hand. You know, when you get saved, become a Christian, you become very aware that your life has just been dropped into a war zone. And that's why this crazy message of, you know, you get saved and God will just give you all this joy and happiness. Well, you know, there is joy and there is peace, but there's a lot of chaos that comes with it. And you realize really fast that you've just been dropped right in the middle of a war zone. You're like, what on earth is happening? And, you know, you had plenty of problems pre-salvation. But you never understood the tension between light and darkness because you lived in dark. And so you didn't get it. In our text in verse 11 of Ephesians 6, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks, or the schemes of the devil. Now, once, you, you, once upon a time, you, you, you served the world. You, the one you once served in the devil is now your enemy. And in light of this, Paul preaches this whole idea of the armor of God. Now, this is an essential. This isn't something that you can take or leave, or, well, you know, they need it, but I'll be okay without it. Okay, this is a, 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 an essential in order that you can stand against the schemes and the tricks of hell. Because as my opening statements are, we're way over our head if we think somehow we're going to confront the issues of today and the issues that surround people's lives somehow on our own intellect. It's not going to happen. Or somehow we have these lofty, amazing arguments of our own that will just dispel the whole thing. Fat chance. So the disciples got a real taste of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. When in their, their little utopian view was blown to pieces as soldiers came to take away Jesus. And this culminated as they watched him die on the cross for no more than having different ideas than the ruling religious and secular powers of the day. Now that'll mess you up. Didn't even do anything wrong. Didn't break any laws. All he did was have a different view and a different opinion, and it got him on the cross. See, this is what we're dealing with. Peter, not knowing how to deal with this spiritually, pulls out his sword, according to John's gospel, in an attempt to deal with it in his own carnal means. Not realizing that his greatest lesson was just moments before as Jesus sought to solicit them to prayer, but because he didn't pray, he's back to his own means again. See, this sort of battle and the powers behind this nature of battle will not be won on human terms. And we must understand what we're dealing with and what is behind the philosophical movements in our world. And if you don't think they're a threat, you better think again. So in our text in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. So the nature of the battle that we face is very spiritual. And make no mistakes about it, we are in a battle. And there's a lot at stake. And to take a passive approach or just a, a neutral approach is not acceptable. 
And Paul names the spiritual entities that we face as Christians. He named them as principalities, which speaks of an organized rank and file system of demonic workers, not just some random uh, things happening. He named them as powers, which are superhuman spiritual forces. He named them as rulers of darkness of this age, which presents the reality that Satan is the ruler in this world and he has control and influence over regions, over families, over races, over nations. And he names them spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, which are simply spiritual forces that exert lofty influence over the earth. So think about this. This is what he says we're dealing with. This is the nature of our warfare. You don't just kind of read a book and figure out how to deal with this. This is something that's going to take something supernatural in return. We see this when Moses goes to bring deliverance to God's people. Uh, It wasn't going to be Moses' intellect or great ability for speech or his relationship with Pharaoh or anything else. Uh, It was going to be something supernatural. And so it was, God said, uh, throw down your rod, uh, and it turned into a serpent. But then uh, the magicians come and produce the same miracle. Uh, Amen. And so this is what we're dealing with. Now, we must remember the devil's fallen position. That while he is subservient to Jesus, he has authority and jurisdiction over this earth. And the devil's rule involves human beings. This is how he gets the job done. He isn't just kind of, you know, like some spooky ghost just roaming around in the air. uh, But he finds human beings uh, and whom he can attach his agenda through. And this is the whole idea of high places. Uh, It isn't just some lofty, high, uh, uh, lofty place up in the heavens. uh, But it's people that are in high places that he's able to influence And his fallen position is that he has a certain authority over this earth at this current time and age. And we see as as his rule involves human beings, he gains his influence and control through people. That's how he works. In the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain He shows them all the kingdoms of the world, said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of them. Well, who gave him that authority? Obviously, he had that authority. Jesus didn't refute the issue. He didn't submit to it, but he didn't refute it. This is the devil's fallen position. When Adam and Eve fell, it relinquished God's authority through Adam, and the devil gained a foothold Satan is even trying at this juncture to wield this upon the Son of God himself. This is how he works. In 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. See, in his fallen position, the devil wields certain authority, has particular influence. He uses high positions and offices of this world like Hollywood and political figures and education systems that he has hijacked uh, and now wields influence through them for his agenda. This is what we're dealing with. 
if all it was was simple arguments, uh, and I argue with you and you argue with me, and we, it's, it's not that way. It's much deeper. And the wickedness behind the agendas uh, is becoming more and more aggressive to a very, very deep manner in which we currently are facing. So let me then talk secondly about the hinge point. The hinge point, like a, a door hinge. All warfare has a flow to it. It's an ebb and flow. Most warfare does not just go one direction because there's resistance. So the fight is not just one way. Now, both of these texts that I've used present the reality of this battle that is raging in the earth between darkness and light. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. You have a lot of cool little religious books out there and spiritual warfare, and most of them don't have a clue. You can tell when you're reading it. They just think it's some simple little process and some little abracadabra, and we got dominion and we got authority, and, and uh, if it was only true. But we're talking about spiritual warfare, and we're talking about the things that the devil hates and the things that God hates. We're talking about souls being in the middle of it all. So there's a sway to the battle. Here's some secular examples that have a spiritual reality. Now I'm just going to read the titles of these four, and then I'm going to explain the context I want to use them in. Okay? So, so four, I just, I just open up the news, begin to look, and try to find two positive, two negative. Many more I could have done. So I'm just going to read them and then put them into context. Pope Francis says, gays and other marginalized groups deserve an apology from the church. I've had enough conservative actor Stacey Dash is taking on liberal Hollywood head on. Supreme Court strikes down Texas abortion law, which was going to minimalize abortion to a great degree. Key figure in violent Freddie Gray riots gets brutal dose of justice from a fed up judge. So we have four very polarizing topics today. Homosexuality. Hollywood's perverse agenda. Abortion. And the friction that's produced by the race. Four very, very polarizing issues of today. They are, they are points they're hinge points that the battle rages on. These issues are unraveling America as we speak. So we have the Pope telling the church to apologize to the homosexual community. We then have a black conservative woman, which all of that is very unique. A black person that's conservative and a woman. All the things that the other side hates. And an actress on top of that in Hollywood, taking on Hollywood, said, I'm fed up with it. And she's creating a whole movement of her own against that. We have the highest and most powerful court in the land striking down a state initiative to limit abortion. You then have a judge sick and tired of the racial agenda and the violence associated with this hammers one of the key figures in the writings in Baltimore 
never mind you, if you're saying all of the police in that were exonerated, every single one of them. Doesn't facts don't matter. And he makes this man an example by slamming him with 15 years of prison time. So here is this sway. I've presented you this flow of the battle. It's back and forth. On the one hand, you have evil that is prevailing. Uh, but then you have others that are rising up and pushing back. Uh, and so what I want you to see here, it's not all just the devil winning. Because people always say, well, the devil's just winning. It, it, you know, he's already got too much control. And no one's standing out and speaking out. Well, I just gave you two examples of people that are, that hold high positions in the land. See, people and ideas are the hinge point in which the battle swings. Now, I personally believe that these people, because I, I know my prayers alone, and I'm certain my little world of prayer is not the world's level of people that are praying for certain things. Like, I pray... All the time that God is going to begin to trigger hearts of people that sit up on Capitol Hill that are backsliders and know the truth and is begin to to prick their hearts to be a spokesman for the gospel uh, in a high place. Well, I believe these people rising up and and judges that are getting fed up. I believe that's part in to, to the prayers of God's people somewhere. We see all these things going bad in our world and we think, oh, the devil is one. We see the fulfillment of Isaiah's words of those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Oh, that's all there is. It's, it's the Elijah syndrome. Oh, Lord, I'm the only one left serving you. There's none others. And we can find ourselves coming to the immediate conclusion, the devil's won. Why even try anymore? And yes, the pendulum is swinging. And sometimes we can feel as though we're stuck in this revolving door and getting nowhere. But listen to our text again. Because this should actually encourage us. That Paul lays out the reality of the activity of the devil. It's real. Yes, it's real. And it's not going away. And there's no doubt it's having an impact. But then he summons you and I to act as soldiers. And put on our armor. And it talks about bearing the truth in the midst of the lies. And taking the shield of faith that will quench fiery darts. And then he says to the Corinthians. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, <coughs> and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So there are two things that Paul is pointing out. Number one is the preserving element of living as a soldier in God's kingdom. Amen. That there's a preserving it will keep you. That you won't fall away in the times to come. But he also points out another factor. And that is the fact that we are making impact in the battle. That's the reason he's calling us to arms as the people of God. There's a battle at hand. There's spiritual hosts of wickedness. There's all manner of principalities and powers and schemes. They've laid hold of institutions. They've laid hold of 
human personalities, uh, they have swung the arguments uh, back and forth. But he says we're soldiers battling, uh, and uh, it's not a one-way deal that you and I and what we're doing does make a difference. Whether it's in your personal life uh, and the situations you're facing, that you're fed up, you're tired, uh, you're weary, uh, and God says, look, you need to approach this as a soldier. You're in a war. And this enemy doesn't give up territory easily. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He says that our efforts, our prayers do that. That just because you hear the one-sided story through the news, and we can be the biggest pessimists on the face of the earth. I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm a realist. I understand what's happening. I see it. We can convince ourselves it's all a lost cause. Let's just go and buy a bunch of canned food and wait for the rapture. It was Daniel and his three Jewish companions that made powerful impact. And think about this, because they're in the middle of this pagan, ungodly scenario of this captivity. But yet they make this powerful impact in this secular, ungodly place. Their stand for God made a difference and God moved on their behalf. Why can't he do that for us? If you stop believing that what we do for God and the stands that we make for God and the preaching we do and the prayers we offer makes no more difference than the enemy's gotten in your head. He's gotten in your head and you're in a bad place. So let me talk then about the weapon of prayer. Because God has given us something far more powerful and influential than anything the devil can produce. The history of revivals are a history of prayer meetings that God visited. Just read for yourself. God was able to take the prayers of people and visit them. What God has given us is far more powerful and far more influential than anything the devil can produce. It's the weapon of prayer. And Paul places prayer in our text at the bottom, but it is spoken of as the thing that holds all else together. So he's making this call for the armor of God and, and he's mentioning all of these uh, demonic entities that we're against. And then he says in verse 18, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That means Holy Ghost filled prayer, baptized in the Holy Ghost, being watchful to this end. In other words, uh, that we're not just kind of waiting on the rapture to come and waiting. We're, we're Engaging the battle in prayer unto this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He says to the Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. Those very things uh, that we think the devil's won. Uh, he's got his foothold. Nothing's going to change. Well, a lot will stay on course as it is. That is true. But there's still power that can be wielded, that God can move through a people that would dare to commit to prayer. 
And make no mistake about it, the weapon that he's speaking of is prayer. This was the weapon that Daniel and his Jewish companion used daily. Daniel's case was three times a day. This is what produced the supernatural power to overcome the lion's den and turn the battle in Daniel's favor, if you read the story. Others, that they overcame the fiery furnace and turned the battle in their favor. There's nothing we're facing currently, any individual here that's on the level they face. Nothing. When you're talking about ungodliness, heathenism, paganism, Yet these men were able to make an impact. Think about the prayer of Mordecai, because I have no doubt it was the prayer of Mordecai and Esther that unraveled Haman's plans. So here's this scheme, this wicked scheme that's at work, uh, and it's meant to undermine the Jewish people and extinguish the voice of the Jews. uh, And and you read the story, uh, and you can realize somebody's prayers were at work. uh, God was moving because of somebody's prayers. And the end result is God turned this thing on his belly. See, the problem is for many, they're just too lazy to begin to pray to the degree of this type of effectiveness. Ten minutes into a prayer meeting, you're already distracted and ready to leave. We've barely gotten past our own carnality at that point. So we make these theologies and come up with these reasonings. Well, you know, the rapture's coming. God wins in the end. We're not going to change things. The devil already has too much control. No, that's your excuse for not praying. Because everything that I see in the Bible says prayer changes the landscape of things. Powerful, supernatural, influential. We may be nobodies on the world's level, but I'm telling you, we can affect world Issues through our prayers right here in this building. Right here out of El Paso, Texas, uh, we can have powerful world influence through the prayers of God's people. Or the other approach is we just piddle around with prayer, pray enough to stay saved, but not enough to make a difference. But the battle call is nothing short of a call to prayer. Prayer is the weapon of God's choice among his people. If all prayer is for you is keeping yourself saved, you have a wrong view and a wrong approach to prayer. It's so much bigger. It's a weapon that God has given us. It's in the arsenal of God. If God can get people to pray, things can begin to happen. It was prayer on the day of Pentecost that attracted a supernatural work of God that began with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was prayer again in Acts chapter 4 after much persecution that re-energized the church and brought more signs and wonders and conversions and gave them dominion in the midst of persecution. See, prayer takes us into the war zone. Ian Bounds has written many volumes on prayer, and he says this, The life of a Christian is warfare, an intense conflict, a lifelong contest. It is a battle fought against invisible foes who are ever alert and seeking to entrap, deceive, 
and ruin the souls of men. And then he goes on to say prayer puts God to work, that God has ordained prayer and will do things through prayer and a praying people as they pray that he will not do otherwise. Question is, do you believe that? So this is why the exhortation in Luke 18, verse 1. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, this parable was about a woman that was afflicted by an ungodly, unjust judge in whom she changed his mind through her continual petitions every day. And the point of Jesus' parable was that that's the effect of God's people's prayers. She had to persevere. It didn't come the first time she got there. And she went again and again and again. She wearied this unjust judge. You know, we can weary the forces of darkness. We can weary uh, all that the devil is trying to hold together through the prayers of God's people. And I have a little video I want to show just to kind of make the point tonight. down these two side lights. Turn them up. Here we go. Here My Lord, stay your business and make it fast. Sir, we're having problems of cataclysmic proportions. Where? In the east sector, sir, the death is fast. Is there something wrong with my abortion clinics? No, no, sir. That's all fine. We kill 4,000 unborn a day through, uh, shall we say, surgical removal. Good. It's selective breeding. We eliminate human life in the name of convenience. <laughs> like the Nazis and the Jews and with the government's approval. Is there a problem with my clinic? Project Television Violence. Sir, it's covered from video cartoons. By the time a child graduates high school, he's seen 70,000 murders. Is this effective enough? Sir, just watch the news. Is there a disturbance in my false religion? Oh, no, sir. Business is booming. Over 40 million are into new age and zen. Over 45 million believe in astrology. Looks like we are catching up. Yes, sir. Only 50 million claim to be born again. Is there a problem with business in general? Sir, we're showing tremendous progress. Yeah. Teenage runaways, each year a million or more. Uh, uh, there's a teen suicide every 90 minutes. And your specialty drunk driving yeah. will claim more lives this year than the whole Vietnam War. Well, is there a disturbance in What was that? Sir, that's the reason all these demons are unconscious and wobbling. Sir, that's what I've been trying to tell you. What is that? Sir, that is our problem. Uh, then, sir, you know what we are dealing with up there. A dry blood bought. Saints of God. Presently on their knees. Sir, their literal holy terrors, they bind us, cast us out.
Now, while that may have been fabricated, that's the reality the Bible gives us. The power of prayer that bombards hell. The question is, will we use the weapon of prayer? When every head bowed and every eye closed. We're sitting here tonight. and We're a result of prayer. We're saved because somebody prayed for us. Some of you have are prolonged, long-standing Christians that have been through all sorts of trials and tribulations. You're still here by the power of prayer. Before I go any further, maybe you're here and you're not right with God. You know, you're under the sway of the wicked one, according to the Bible. You may say, oh, no, no, I believe in God, but you're under the sway. If you're not serving Jesus Christ, you're under the sway of of the devil. You don't just break free of that and say, oh, I don't believe in him. It doesn't matter. And the bondages that you're experiencing in your life and the afflictions of your life and the devastation that some of you have faced in your homes, in relationships, in families. Are all a result of the sin filled world and fallen humans that the devil has accessed for his agenda Corruption of chaos. But Jesus came to bring restoration. This is what he does. It's the miracle of what we're a part of. This church is not just some human driven institution. Maybe governed and overseen in such a manner, but it's a miracle, a supernatural institution of God where people have come and seen the power of sin broken and had revolutionary, powerful experiences in Christ. And many families have been restored. And addictions have been broken. Suicidal tendencies have been done away with. You're here and this is what you need. You have no protection from the devil outside of Jesus Christ. And one of the devil's biggest strategies is to get you to blame God for all the chaos in the world not God at all. He's done everything. He made the most resounding statement ever in history. And it goes like this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
put him on a cross. To bridge the gap back to God. And now you have a choice to make. You have to decide what are you going to do about your eternal soul. Are you going to let the miracle power of Jesus come in or are you going to continue on your current path? And So I want to make an appeal. If you're here and you're not right with God and you're ready to relinquish your life, give it over to Jesus Christ. Break the power of Satan. I want you to lift your hands up all across this place. God's dealing with you right now. Put it up high so I can see it. Amen. I see that hand. Who else? God's dealing with you tonight. This is your moment. God is drawing you to himself. What are you going to do? Maintain your current course? Or are you going to have a life-changing experience tonight in Jesus Christ? I'm ready for Christ. If that's you, lift your hand up. Pray with you. Who else? Along with his honest heart. Ready for Jesus. I'm ready to open my heart, surrender my life. Let Jesus be my Lord and Savior. Relinquish my control and let Jesus be in the driver's seat. Who's that? God's dealing with you. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you. Who else? God's dealing with you tonight. It's a spiritual war. Right now, the battle is raging as I speak. On the one hand, uh, the devil is pulling uh, and saying all these things in your head. On the other hand, God is pulling. What are you going to do? A decision is what has to take place. And you're ready to decide for Jesus. Choose for Jesus. Repenting of your sins. Lift your hand. Who else? God's dealing with you right now. You're backslidden. You're ready to come back to God. You're going to do that right now. Along with these honest hearts that have already raised their hands. Come to Jesus tonight. Surrender to Christ. Okay, everyone that lifted their hand, I want you to look at me eye to eye. Did you mean that right here? I, I believe you did. Did you mean that right here? I, I believe you did. And you meant that? You meant that? I want you all to come. Make your way to this altar. Come meet me. God is going to help you. I have people coming. They're going to pray with you. We're going to break through tonight. You're going to break the power of the devil. Repentance is powerful. It's powerful. Now listen, church. You've heard prayer sermon after prayer sermon after prayer sermon. But yet there's still some of you that don't pray. This is God's weapon. This is God's influence in the earth through the prayers of his people. We're, we're in a serious level of warfare here. And I realize that I'm limited as a human being. I am limited in my influence. But the one thing I know for sure is that if I'll pray, I can influence things on such a large level. And so can you. There are things going on in your life tonight and you've, you've given up or you've, you've gotten discouraged or, or you just think somehow it's going to work itself out. No, it's, it's all about our prayers. It's all about our prayers. God is beckoning His church. If there's ever a time and an hour of need, it is right now that we would mobilize in the prayer place. Some of you, all you do is piddle in prayer. You pray enough to stay saved. You're hit and miss. You're up and down. And there's no dominion in your prayer life beyond the little effect it has on you. 
Some of you don't pray hardly ever. Some of you, you're where you need to be and God will challenge you to even a deeper consecration because this is the weapon of choice. So there's going to be an opportunity right now to respond. You know what, God? I'm repenting of prayerlessness. I'm repenting of the sin of omission that I have omitted something that you command me to do. You expect me to do as a Christian. Some of you, you're, you're fighting these battles in your home and in your marriage and your life and, and you're fighting it with arguments and you're fighting it with, oh, stop, just stop. Why don't you try fighting it with prayer for a while and see what will happen? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Open these altars. I'm going to ask you to stand. Begin to make your way and God is going to meet with us tonight. What we need is supernatural. It's not something we can produce in our own selves, and our own intellect. And I'll tell you, when we're prayed up, it takes the arguments that we make and the preaching of the word, it takes and it accelerates it at another level. That's when, as Paul stood before King Agrippa, this man that was sold on wickedness and yet came so close to bringing him to the kingdom of God, because that's the sway of our prayers. That's the impact of Holy Ghost filled people that are prayed up and filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. It accelerates the agendas of God's kingdom. If there's anything you need to learn how to do as a brand new Christian, you need to learn how to pray every day. Prayer is not some lofty, spiritual, mystical language. It's simply talking with God. Telling Him the things that are going on. Agreeing with Him on His plan and purpose. And it's through that that He begins to move. And you're going to see life-transforming things happen if you'll commit to prayer. Some of you are trying to fight addictions. You're trying to fight big-time, deep marriage and conflicts in your life by yourself. How about if you start praying about it? How about if you really, really commit yourself to to praying before God and bringing these things before God and see what He'll do. I'm telling you, something will change. Ministries, outreaches, all that we do will begin to have a change by the influence of prayer. It's the weapon of God's choice. He placed it before us. It ties everything else together. Peter draws his sword out in that moment. That was very spiritual what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it wasn't going to be fighting with a sword that was going to win that one. And Jesus told him, look, if you're going to fight with the sword, you're going to die with the sword. What I was trying to show you right now that you failed and fell asleep, that's where you're going to win this one. That's a word for some of God's people tonight. Oh, God in heaven, have a right of way. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 
You know what you ought to do, too? You get your own strategy. But, you know, when I read these, these news articles, they're things to pray about. Especially these people that are taking stands against everything else that is flooding against them. They're taking stands in places that we have zero influence, like Hollywood. Like a judge sitting there judging the events of the flow of society. Begin to pray for them. Begin to make that on your prayer. I have a prayer list. And when people come into my office and they tell me, this is happening, this is happening, I need your prayers. It goes on the prayer list. Because I believe that God can move. I want you to stand right where you're at with your heads bowed. What we need is a revival of prayer. And I'm not saying go out from this all stirred and maybe right now you're at zero prayer and you're going to commit to an hour of prayer. That's not going to work. You're going to find yourself very discouraged. You'll be down on yourself. But I am going to call you to pray. Everyone here that's born again, right with God, needs to join in on the prayer. Because it's the weapon God's given us. And as we begin to, you know, you, when you read the book of Acts, that was the thrust of what they did. They, they were under persecution. All the stuff was coming against them. What they do? They band together. Once again, Acts chapter 4. And they begin to call upon God. And the Bible literally says that another outpouring of the Holy Ghost took place that day. And they were baptized. With, and there was a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that day more were saved than on the day of Pentecost. I want you to think about that because that's the potential of what I'm talking about. Something that is beyond us. Well, I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy to pray. No, you're too busy not to pray. How many here? And I don't want you just to raise your hand for the sake of raising it and feeling left out of somebody. But you really, really are going to begin to press into this battle in prayer. And you're going to do it beginning tomorrow morning. Is going to be the beginning of your fresh commitment to prayer. And, and this means whatever it is that's sucking up the prayer time, whether it's just laziness, whether it's, it's you've got too many other extracurricular things that are infringing on you or whatever it is that you're going to adjust accordingly and make prayer the priority and not just piddle around while you may only begin with 15 minutes because you really don't know how to pray your intention is to let it grow to where you can really concentrate and lay a hold of god for some time and if that's what you're willing to do going on record beginning tomorrow the start of your day, I want you to lift your hand up and go on record. That's me. That's what I'm going to do. And what I want us to do is begin to worship God and seal this before God right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come before your throne, oh, God, we open our hearts before you, Lord. God, we make our lives as an instrument in your hand. Lord, back flesh. God, cleanse of everything uh, that is a determined from this, God. As you've called us to the prayer place, Lord God, begin to illuminate. Uh, bring a visit, Lord. Uh, 
Hallelujah, and a rama mando rebebe kio robo sai. Hio no robo bo korebebe kia rama se. Hio ni bi kia ramando robo bo robo se. Hio lere meri lere mendi bi kio robo bo robo se. Hallelujah, righteous and holy. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, uh, overflowing, O oh God, in abundance. Lord God, have right if we let there be access uh, to every heart and every life. Hio robo corre bebebe, kiondo robo boruse. Hiondo robo bo corre. Hiondo robo corre be, kiorobo corro bose. Hi condi bi arrama mandi bi sibie. Io robo robo si bi alla rama mamma ni bi chio robo se Rondi bi alla mandi bi si bi robo corro robo robo se Thank you Lord i rama sando rebebe chio robo correbe Worthy is our God hallelujah Have access O Lord Worebedi alla mando roche Thank you, Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Wonderful God. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Amen. So we need to rise up. You know, we've got to cast off slothfulness. Get out of bed. You know, prayer is a, a, an unceasing connection with God. It's throughout the day. As you, as you begin to pray, you're going to have this spiritual awareness to you. That as the day is going along, God's just going to interrupt. Or, or your thoughts are pondering and, and it, it moves right into a flow of prayer. And it's going to be a constant flow of your life. More than just we have a morning prayer meeting. That certainly is important. Absolutely 100% important. Focused, undistracted. Everything else set aside. You and Jesus laying a hold of God. Has to happen. But God wants to go beyond that. Amen. And so let's believe God together. Let's come together as the people of God. And, and put a prayer list. And, and start seeing what God will do. And you start testifying. When you see God answer that prayer 
or begin to move a situation. Wow, I've been praying about that. You'd be surprised the influence you'll have on a grand level. I'll read the paper, things would bother me. I've got a choice. I can be bothered the rest of the day and ticked off and vexed. Or I can say, okay, prayer time. Begin to see what God will do. Amen. So let's take that. Let's run with it. Tomorrow morning is where it all begins. Amen. So we're going to dismiss. Don't forget if you're able to help at 630 tomorrow night for an outreach. There is Spanish service. And then Saturday morning at 6 a.m. to set up for our Independence Day celebration on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Do your best to invite somebody. Amen. Let's come back Sunday believing God for good things. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We're rejoicing. I'm asking uh, Carlos Reda that he would lift his voice and uh, dismiss us.